Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles and open up to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, 2 Peter, chapter 1. The end of the message, I'm going to spend a, uh, a very short amount of time in the book of Philippians chapter 3 as well. 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I've been preaching a cluster of sermons on Christian character, and we're going to continue with that today. Um, the consequences of lacking Christian character... Uh, in an individual's case, as well as uh, it's the impact is more broadly applied when you look at large groups of individuals who are Christians who are lacking Christian character. The consequences to that is lost people don't hear the gospel. Lost people don't see the gospel. Um, those two consequences are drastic consequences. Um, it's important that we are individuals who are driven to be conformed to the image of Christ that other people may see who he is, not so that other people may see who we are. As I, as I mentioned in the sermon a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, um, when you pray, you go into your closet. It's basically saying you, you don't do it for public attention. When you, uh, when you fast, you make sure that you're clean, <clears throat> that you're well put together so that public attention is not what you're doing it for. Um, we should be individuals who are desiring to be conformed to Christ for the sake of Christ being seen by other people through us. Our language is exactly the same thing. When people hear us speak, do they hear Christ speak or do they hear something else speak? Well, the biggest, the biggest uh, problem that we as Christians have is we only have one, one thing. Explain what I mean by that. We only have one, one thing. Every one of us uh, in this world who, who place our trust in Jesus Christ, we have picked one thing to be at the top of our priority list. One thing. Now, there are people who say, well, wait a minute, I've got a lot of responsibilities and I have to divvy myself up a lot of different ways. It still doesn't matter. There is one thing that gets more of your time and more of your attention than anything else. That's the one thing that we have chosen to pour ourselves into. Christian character is determined by the amount of time or where we have placed Christian character as that one thing in our lives. Now, you've heard me mention before that, uh, that we make church about a lot of different things. Uh, and the truth is, church should really be about one thing, Jesus. In our lives, our lives should be just about one thing, Jesus. And if Jesus is in his proper place, then the results are Jesus is basically touching everything that we do, if he's in the right place. If he's in the wrong place, then the things that are above him are touched by our human hands, and what has ever been created by man that was indestructible remember the one thing 
that was uh, that was somebody was bold enough to actually say that God couldn't even sink it. The Titanic. The one thing that they claimed was indestructible lays at the bottom of the ocean. Now, as Christians, uh, I, these are some of the examples that I hear from individuals. Well, I have to put time into my family. So when someone says, well, I have to put time into my family, then what have they chosen as their one thing? Family. Now, what happens when family is at the top or the pinnacle of the pyramid is the family is then getting the attention and the time of a human being. If character, if godly character is what is chased and family is placed second, then what's the driving objective in in the relationship of the family? Christ, it's Christian character. I've said in weddings, a whole bunch of weddings. I'm nearing 100 weddings since I've started doing, um, since I've started ministry, um, since I've answered the call into ministry. Nearly every one of those weddings I've said this. A man will never love a woman the way God intended him to love her unless he puts Jesus first. And a woman will never love the man the way that God intended the woman to love man unless she puts Jesus first. And I've literally had couples in counseling who have gotten mad at me because how dare I say that Jesus should be more important than she is or more important than he is. If we chase money, then we may grab hold of money, but how are we going to come by it? The Old Testament is chocked full of examples of individuals who were willing to step on other people in order to get rich. We can do all of these other things in life, but folks, our one thing should be Christ. Our one thing should be character. And we're going to take a look in Second Peter chapter 1 at... Uh, this is this is the apostle Peter actually speaking of, about Christian virtue and in this uh, second epistle, uh, the um, the Christian persecution that the church was going through at this time was what uh, Peter was uh, what his what the church was dealing with and Peter was addressing. Um, long story short, this is what God's addressing. Um, character is true character seen when things are going well or is true character more clearly seen when things are not going so well true character is really seen when things are not going well well things were not going well for the christian at this particular time peter's giving them instruction in the face of the ch of the challenges that they faced the struggles the persecutions the martyrs that were actually going on at this time with christians so in uh, in second peter chapter one Verse 1, he says this, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we go any further, he, he points out specifically in there, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. There were a lot of different kinds of faith. And believe it or not, today there are a whole lot of different kinds of faith. Even within churches, there are a whole lot of different kinds of faith. He ties this faith to one particular thing. He puts specifically in there 
by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. God said, I am holy, therefore be ye holy. Character is important to God. It's not enough for us as individual believers to say that I trust in Jesus Christ, therefore all of my sins are covered, past, present, and future. Grace extends over my lifetime to give me justification or excuse over my sinfulness. That is not Christianity. The church had been bombarded by by individuals chapter uh, in 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 uh, in Second Peter specifically. Uh, he addresses the threat that comes from people who are false teachers and false prophets. Individuals teaching things. And folks, this is the concept. If you don't believe me, look in the world around you. How many Christians do you know who believe that it is really important for them to be godly? More importantly, how many people do you believe that you know based on what you see that godliness is the number one priority. Now, godliness isn't this self-absorbed righteousness. Don't get don't get caught up in that. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean we wear the finest clothes to church and we walk around and pretend like we're something that we're not. True godliness and true righteousness. The word righteousness literally means to be right. To be right according to who? People tell me all the time. Well. Um, uh, who, who's right is relative. No, it's not. Relativity with rightness is not, under any circumstances, an a, uh, a open, even co- context of a conversation. Because who's right? God's right. All the time. So the word righteousness is right in the eyes of God. Doing right in the eyes of God. I like, I get a kick out of watching these uh, videos where people will actually, um, they, they do several different things, but one guy will carry around a $20 bill and he'll drop it on the ground, and they have a video camera that's watching the guy drop the $20 bill. Somebody will walk over and pick the $20 bill up, and then the guy will turn around and he'll walk back, and he'll say, hey, I think I just dropped some money here, and, and it would test the people who just picked up the $20 bill. Are they going to give the $20 bill back? Or are they going to lie and claim that they didn't even see a $20 bill? It's amazing to me. There's quite a few people who will not give that $20 bill back. Character um, is lacking in many of those cases. There are those individuals who also give the money back. There are individuals who've picked it up and chased the person down to give the the money back. Uh, There was one video where they took 20 wallets and they took them to three cities. And they dropped those wallets all over those cities just to see how many of the wallets would come back. Surprisingly, a majority of the wallets had the phone numbers in them. They contacted the person and told them that they found their wallet. In half of the cases, they returned the wallet with all of its contents. The other half of the cases, they returned the wallet, but the cash was gone. Integrity. We don't have it. Character is something that we're that we are sorely lacking. Do you know through these videos who the most compassionate and character uh, character filled people were? Homeless people. They would take the homeless person food and hand it to him, and then they would send another person over to the homeless person to sit down next to him and say that he was hungry. 
Did you know in 100% of the cases, the homeless people actually gave their food to the person that sat down next to them? In 100% of the cases, the homeless people gave the money back when they picked it up. In 100% of the cases, they contacted the people who owned the wallet and the contents of the wallet was in it. What does it say about us as as a nation? When people who literally have nothing are the ones with the most character. I dropped a $5 bill at a ball game one day. I knew that I did. I, I, I had it in my, I pulled my hand out of my pocket. I seen it fall. Before I could turn around, a cheerleader from that school had stooped over and picked it up. When I turned around, I saw her stand up with my $5 bill. And I put my hand out and I said, thank you. And she said, for what? I said, for picking up my $5 bill. She said, I didn't pick up no $5 bill. If we're going to be individuals who are going to take a message that saves the souls of the lost, we have to be individuals who are believable. And it's not about telling a good story. The Apostle Paul addressed that as well. It's about us being individuals who have the ability to back up who it is that we say that we are in our actions and in our speech. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I find this, uh, the more time that I spent, and I, I prayed over this particular verse for quite some time, and there is, if you look at this verse closely, it blows your mind. I've, I've read past this, I don't know how many times in my lifetime, I've read over it, it's an introduction, it's repeated quite a bit in the books, So it was something I always just looked over, but I want you to look closely at what he's saying there. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Where do we get grace and peace? From the knowledge of God. Grace and peace from the knowledge of God is an acceptable grace and peace. Grace and peace from some self-dreamt-up standard is not okay. You're going to notice that you're going to notice that there is uh, a pattern when it comes to uh, this particular book. When it's talking about Christian virtue or Christian character, it continues to point us back to the knowledge of God. Because we are individuals who, character, who characteristically place our own standard on everything that we believe. This election is driving me nuts. And to be honest with you, it's not because of who's winning and who's losing. It's not. Again, I, I believe wholeheartedly whoever, whoever wins the election, God's going to use. In the big picture, he's going to use the individual who, who actually sits in the president's seat for the next four years. What bugs me so much about this is all of the underhandedness. And people treating everybody in the country like they're idiots. Now, this isn't something that should surprise me, and I know the world's going to continue to get worse. I had somebody on Facebook the other day that was like, 2020, worst year ever. 
And I'm like, I have a feeling you just wait for 2021. Because I read the end of the book. It doesn't say it gets better. We're going to continue to see difficult times. And we're going to continue to see, and above all, my frustration should not lead me to anger. My frustration should lead me to a greater drive to become more like Jesus. Why? Because more than ever before, when you look around you, you see a lack of Jesus and his influences in the society we live in. It's been creeping up on us for a long time. When we start having people who say that we have to call people things that they certainly are not, you have to address somebody based on the pronoun that they desire. Homosexuality became something that was out of the closet and people were proud of, marching through the streets naked, holding up signs. The term was, I'm amazed that it took this long, but the term, how long did it take the term fake news to show up? Because the world has become so self-absorbed, it's obvious to see. So do we get angry because lost people are acting like lost people? Who should we really be angry at? We should be, hang- be we should be angry at the Christians. Because way too many of us for way too long have picked the wrong one thing. And it shows. It shows in our in the lives that we live, it shows in the world that we live in. And folks again, we're never going to beat the system. The system God knew when he created this world that it was going to continue to degrade and go downhill to the point that he was going to say, that's it, this is as far as it can go, and he's going to come back, take his church, and destroy the whole thing. Wipe it out. And my concern, as much as I'm concerned for lost people, I've seen more and more over the years Individuals who say that they have faith in Christ who have no lifestyle to back it up. I want people to hear me when I say this. I don't want you to hear me accurately. How many times is the door of the church open? In a week? For public services? Three. Now, there's not a problem that somebody comes to Sunday morning and don't go to Sunday night. That's not the problem. The problem is not that somebody comes on Sunday morning and doesn't come on Wednesday night. That's not the problem. The problem is when they're asked, why do you come on Sunday mornings and not Sunday night or Wednesday night? You know what the answer is? I'm busy. I'm busy. Church pays $15 a month for Zoom. An opportunity for us to stay connected during these crazy times. How many people show up on the Zoom meetings? Four at the most six. Count me. Why don't you show up on Zoom? I hate technology. I don't know how. Well, if it's something that somebody really wants to do, Do you think they're going to figure out how to do it? So I want you to hear me clearly. 
This isn't about going to church one out of three times. This isn't about hooking up to Zoom. This is about what is your number one. Life has proven that the Christians that we have in this country right now, many, many, many have picked something other than Christ. My dad used to say, if you're too busy to pray, you're just too busy. If you're too busy to go to church, you're just too busy. If you're too busy, as it's referenced here, and it's going to continue to reference, if you're too busy to study your Bible, you're just too busy. Knowledge. Where do you get knowledge? From God's Word. Let's be honest. How much time did you spend in it this week? If we had to compare the amount of time that we spent doing other things to the amount of time that we spent knowing God, where would he fall on our list? It's a pretty simple way to determine where that priority fits in our life. If you spend more time watching TV than you do reading your Bible, guess what you think is more important? Whether you actually realize it or not, Folks, we are misdirected as a Christian society. The one person that will equip us to be what it is that he wants us to be, that will see us through all the difficult days, the one that will help us to be what he's created us to be in leading the lost to him, he has everything and what has he withheld the next verses verse 3 seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence divine power the word power in Greek who can remember the word Dunamis. Seeing that his dunamis power. You know what English word we get from the word dunamis? Dynamite. And that's even a terrible human comparison. We're talking about divine power that brought everything in existence by the speaking of his word. And he has withheld nothing. If we slide into heaven as a slightly warmer than a lukewarm Christian, can God be blamed? The one thing that we know empowers us, equips us, enthrones us. Where does it fall on our list of priorities in life? 
known this secret for a long time. It's not really a secret, unless people intend for it to be a secret. When I first started at Highland, and this was, to be honest with you, an accident. Something I found out in the first couple of years. The more time that people spend in God's word, the stronger his church is. When I came here, there was one adult Sunday school class. Shortly thereafter, there was one men's and one women's Sunday school class. There was no nursery and one child Sunday school class. After my 10-month interim, the church said, what's the first thing that we do? And I said, the first thing that we do is we get a nursery. Why? Because nursery will stop, not having a nursery will stop people from coming to Bible study. The key there was, we need to do what it takes to give people the opportunity to get into Bible study. Next. What do we do next? We create every scenario that we can make the most, the most uncomfortable people comfortable by creating a Sunday school class that they feel that way in. We provide them opportunities by doing, then, a Monday night Bible study. We have Sunday night discipleship training where we do Bible study. And we provide another opportunity through the Highland Sprouts so that people can be in Bible study. And on Wednesday nights, we do a Wednesday night missions children's ministry so that we can provide people an opportunity to go to Bible study. Because what was the key to one, to, a, to a strong church? You show me a people who will spend time in God's word, and I will show you a people empowered by the power that only God can provide. Then after some time, I became guilty. Because I found myself preparing Bible studies for everybody else. But I was spending so much time in preparation for Bible studies for everybody else. Guess what I wasn't doing for myself? And trust me, some people are like, well, I don't understand what the difference is. There is a difference. There's a difference between me spending time with God for you and me spending time with God for me. There's a difference. God has given us everything that we need to be individuals who can live a life that is conformed to the image of Christ. Because again, the only way that people come to God is for him to draw them to himself. He has chosen our vessels to be the object to which he draws, him, he draws people to himself. The gospel we speak has to be backed up with character. The walk we walk has to be backed up with character. If it doesn't have it, then the message loses its power. Testimonies used to be extremely popular. You don't hear as much about testimonies anymore. But they were extremely powerful. Why? 
because it was the evidence of an almighty God working in an individual's life to change them from the person that they were to the person that Jesus wanted them to be. The conformity to the image of Christ is mind-boggling to the atheist. People are surprised that we don't run around through the same things that they do. They're shocked when we left that lifestyle. They can't figure it out. They genuinely want to know why would we leave that lifestyle. When somebody says why, we should be able to say, just watch me and I'll show you. Prove to me that God exists. Watch me. And I'll show you. The Apostle Paul said it. Didn't he? Didn't the Apostle Paul say, follow my example? Paul wasn't perfect. He said so much two or three different times in his letters. Paul knew what it meant to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he knew that where he was not conformed to the image of Christ, that there was still hope for conformity to happen in those areas. And it should be a transformation that's happening bit by bit every day of our lives. You'll notice the last part of verse 3. Read that whole verse again. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. How does this make any sense? Who called us by his own glory and excellence? Does this, does this mean that God had an idea of what him revealing himself to us would actually create? that he had a purpose behind the divine power that has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness? It's almost like he had a plan. And the fact is this, folks. When we're known to be Christians by people who don't know Christ, Christ is who we make him out to be to them. Do you hear me? Christ is who we make him out to be to those that are lost. So who is Jesus to this society? He's a hater. Why? Because there's an awful lot of Christians running around the world out there saying, I'm a Christian, and they're haters. That Jesus, he's a pretty good dude. He lets people get away from any, get away with anything. Why would they think that? Because the church lives its life like it can get away with anything. Do 
Jesus, he's a cool dude, man. He gave his life for me and I get to, I, I get to live, I get to be, I get to live eternally. It's a cool dude. Where's the expectation that comes along in this relationship? In that type of an attitude. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus even warned against this. In his own way, the multitudes of people who followed him, and it said he stopped, and he turned, and he said to them, he who comes after me and does not hate his own mother, father, brother, sister, wife, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's the hater part, right? Jesus wants us to know that for us to trust in him and follow him, it comes with a cost. And anybody who's ever told you become a Christian and life will become easy is a liar. Because the conflict between the flesh and the spirit is real. And if we have settled ourselves into the rut of life that has convinced us that it's okay for us to praise Jesus and just be the the fallen people we always have, folks, we've been lied to. I don't care who did it. People say they believe things because their dad told them. They believe things because their grandpa told them. They believe things because their mom told them. You know what we should be believing? What Jesus tells us. It was shocking to me the number of people who mentored me growing up. And the more time I found myself in God's word, the more I found that the things that I were taught was taught were wrong. They were not true. I don't think these people were deceptive individuals in my life. The fact is, somebody told them things that were untrue. And they just continued to throw it out there. Where does that stop? Verse 4. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Look at this verse again. I want you to see the obvious purpose behind what it is that God's given us. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. That's a call that God has given us all that we need to live a life above the level of mediocrity. No matter where we are in our Christian walk, Jesus wants more. And if he wants more, is he being unfair? Let's be honest, folks. How much effort are we really putting into this? If I was to walk up to you at the beginning of this message and say, what is the most important thing in your life, what would your answer have been? In light of this passage of Scripture, 
Would you answer the question the same way? Verse 5 says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in, in your brotherly kindness, love. We look at these things systematically. This is a formula, folks. This is what we should be going through throughout our entire lives. We should be people who are desiring to be who Christ wants us to be. And here is the formula. This verse, these verses, they should be taped up in our houses. They should be taped up in our cars. They should be the screen saver on our phones. They should be everywhere in front of us. Because he is clear in saying, this is who I want you to be, and this is the steps you have to take in order to be it. Not through our actions. Our actions are the results of what we really believe. Our actions are the results of what we really know. You show, some, show me somebody who truly has ignorance involving anything, and I will show you someone who will never look like they know what they're talking about or what they're doing. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You know, that verse, verse 9, if you look back at these other verses, I want you to think back to the day that you placed your trust in Jesus Christ and the year that followed that point in time that you trusted in him. How diligent were you? In other words, how much effort did you put into the relationship with Jesus in your first year after you believed? Was moral excellence important in your first year? And was it driven by your faith? Your moral excellence? You wanted to know even what that meant, right? I remember my kids, when they first gave their life to Jesus, they were coming home from school and asking me questions about the Bible. Not questions just came out of the blue, but questions based on experiences that they were having at school. They wanted to know where the Bible said that things were wrong and where the Bible said that things were right. In your knowledge, self-control, 
one probably took us a while to catch on to. But how important was it to us in the first year of our faith? It's extremely important. The first year of my faith, it was very important that I didn't disappoint God. Even though in many, many cases I did. And for some time after that, it was really important that I didn't disappoint God. And the result of that was sanctification. Your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Our first year of our faith, these things were extremely important to us. Our excitement level was through the roof. We prayed genuinely, not habitually. What happened? Verse 9 pretty much says what happens. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. All of the scriptures are important, folks. But I hope that you walk away from here today understanding the significance of these 11 verses in Second Peter chapter 1. This relationship Christ has called us into is a living relationship. Jesus came for the purpose of saving the lost, of which we come to this church, or we go to the parking lot, or we watch on Facebook, because we genuinely are grateful for what it is that he's done for us. And why we can be so pompous is to believe that since that work was completed in us, we're finished, is beyond me. Because every one of us who sit in this place, we know that we sit in this place because there was somebody who was in our life who talked the talk and walked the walk, who delivered a message of grace to us. Where would we be if there was no one that this miraculous work was accomplished in? Flip over quickly to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Here Paul is talking about knowing God, the power of his resurrection. In verse 13 of chapter 3 of Philippians, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, Got a pencil or a pen? This next phrase I want you to underline. But one thing I do. Not two things, not three things, not four things. One thing I do. 
forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is your one thing? For every one of us who are blood-bought saints of Jesus Christ, our one thing we should do Forget what lies behind, reach forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So song leaders come forward. I want you to spend this time with the Lord, and I want you to honestly ask yourself this question. Don't feel guilty about it. We're human beings. Our priorities, they get knocked out of whack all the time. We allow our attention to be drawn in places. It's just a fact. This, this message isn't about beating people down and making them feel bad. This is hopefully the Lord sending a message to you as well as he sent it to me when I was preparing this sermon for us to get things right. So when we ask ourselves the question, what in my life has been my one thing. If it's not pressing on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, then we have some adjustments to make. The world we live in today, there is there is absolutely reasons that we would get our priorities all mixed up. What is our one thing? Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.